Hello everyone and welcome to Magical Streaming, a podcast where we talk about Disney Plus after we watch it. My name is Amber. My name is Murray. And today we're talking about the Imagineering story. Yes, and uh, what a week it's been. Yeah! Yeah. So, a lot of people are now at home. Which means they have time to watch the Imagineering story. And they should. You should. Six hours of your life you will never regret. It was the first Disney Plus original content that we watched. It is. And it was a great decision. Yes. And honestly, I wish they would do more of it, but I guess there's not really much more ground to cover at this point. Unless they went a little bit further into details on some things, but... It's... I don't foresee them doing that. No, probably not. We'll so why don't you give move us... move on to the one day at Disney stuff. Yes. So for now, why don't you give us the, I guess, kind of it's... synopsis? Yeah, well, it's more of a description because it is a docuseries. Right. Um, so the imagining story is described on Disney Plus as follow. Behind the magic of every Disney theme park lay mud, sweat, and fears. Creating happiness is hard work. For nearly 70 years, a unique blend of artists and engineers, called Imagineers, have cultivated an impossible notion from the mind of one man, Walt Disney, into a global phenomenon that touches the hearts of millions. Given unprecedented access, Academy Award-nominated filmmaker Leslie Iwerks leads the viewer on a journey behind the curtains of Walt Disney Imagineering, the little-known design and development center of the Walt Disney Company, to discover what it takes to create, design, and build 12 Disney theme parks around the world. I guess little known for, like, because it's more common knowledge when you do go to the parks. Especially right. just, like, you have the option to dine with Imagineer in right. some of the parks. And... I think the more you know about the Disney company, it comes up pretty early on. But for a lot of casual people, especially people who haven't been to the parks, you're not going to know what about Imagineering at all. Yeah. Um, so this episode is going to be a lot more discussion-based rather than fact-based because it's it a is, docu-series. Yes, so it's basically its everything history. that you watch on the series is already facts. So we're not going to give facts on facts. Right. Uh, yeah, this is really mostly going to be an, opi- uh, an opinion piece, I guess. Right. So here's one of the things to keep in mind. Of course, this is Disney's take on Disney. Yes, and Disney's take on Disney, not just that, but also you will see if you watch it. A slight disconnect, or not disconnect necessarily, but in terms of how each CEO, from Walt himself, all the way through, well, not present time, because now we have Chapek, but up until Iger, you will see a slight disconnect in the sense that they kind of went over... You know, definitely the good that each CEO has brought to the company. But even Walt, even when they talk about Walt, they bring up some of, you know, the the things that he did maybe 
not as well. Some of his like they gave a bit of criticism, not they, too much, but a little right. bit. They, they do touch on some failures. Of the har- yeah, failures that he's come across and hardships. They don't really do that with Bob. I do not because he was current CEO. So I believe if this documentary series had been created at a different time, you know, they might have talked more about how long Shanghai ran over, or how much over budget Shanghai ran over, or how much the magic bands. Of, yeah, the magic bands or the my Disney experience, which not failures in the sense like they work well. I love. The magic bands, I think but they're the cost good. associated to yeah, it. Yeah, and like my Disney experience, it's a great tool, but everybody knows that uses anything through the web for Disney for a company that is worth so much, they sure don't invest much in their IT. That's correct. So it's and it's not to criticize, like right. Well, we yes, love... it is to criticize. Like you, every, you can criticize you, things that you love. Yeah, exactly. There's no. It's never black and white. There's always going to be shades of gray. The Disney company and the Disney parks in general bring us a lot of happiness, but that does not mean we agree with everything. That does not mean yeah. They're not immune to criticism and to us thinking some decisions, like appointing Bob. Freaking Chapek as CEO are good decisions. And uh, yeah, so that's the one thing also, like, obviously the part when you get to Bob Iger stepping in, from that point on, it will primarily... It minimizes... Yeah, it minimizes some of the missteps he may have made right. as a CEO. And again, it's not to say that he was a bad CEO because he made mistakes. Because you every see that every CEO has made mistakes. made mistakes. Yeah, and we're I'm definitely gonna jump into some hot takes as soon as we get to episode three because I definitely have some thoughts about Michael Eisner. Okay. But uh, let's get started so let's, with episode one. Well, let's... Oh, you have Let me do things. a little bit of an overview. Okay. So, it's presented in six separate parts. We'll go over those parts after this. Uh, first episode dropped when the uh, platform launched on November 12th. The last episode dropped December 13th. So, it was released weekly. By now, you can stream the entire thing. Um, it was originally announced in 2013 as a documentary like the Pixar story, also directed by Leslie Iwerks, who is the daughter of Don Iwerks, who was a filmmaker known for working on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And he was the son of Ub Iwerks. Anybody who knows a lot about Disney history knows that Ub Iwerks was really the co-creator of Mickey Mouse, and he was a huge animator, essential in getting this company started. So she comes from a Disney dynasty, and in fact, Don Iwerks was made a Disney legend in 2009 for his work on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So Leslie has a connection back to really the beginning of the company and I think that's part of the reason why they allowed her to be able to do this. Yeah, to go so deep into the history of the parks and you know, just bringing to light some of the things that happened that even people who are big fans of the park may not have entirely been aware of. 
Exactly. So she made the Pixar story, uh, which I haven't seen, but it is on Disney Plus, and we will watch it at some point, uh, which covered from 95 to when it came out, which I think was 2011 or 12. So basically about 15 years of history. And they were originally planning on the same format for this. But they had 70 years of history to try and fit into one hour or an hour and a half or even two hours. It's not enough. So in April 2019, they announced that it would be a miniseries on Disney+. And when they started going through all the footage that they originally shot, they realized this is a lot of footage. But when the idea of a platform like Disney Plus started getting floated around, they decided we're gonna change it around so that it's a docu-series, but didn't really announce it. So between the time that it was first announced and by the time we found out that it was going to be a full docu-series was about six years. Hmm. So there was a lot of time put into this, a lot of energy put into this. So we'll start with the first part, which is the happiest place on earth, which starts with the creation of Disneyland and goes through to Walt's death and the New York World Fair as a timeline. Yes, so, um, okay, I will say there are not a lot of episodes in this series that did not make me cry. Oh my goodness, but this... This one is particularly hard because... I mean, it's Walt, and it, it's so crazy because he had been dead already so many years by the time we were even born, but he created something so incredible that still lives on to this day, and that will always prevail, and especially right now. This is such an unprecedented time for the Walt Disney Company. For for everyone. For, for everyone, but, you know, we're talking about this right now, so I'm, right. I'm going to put some light on this. Up until this past Saturday, the Disney parks in America had only... Well, I'm not sure about Disneyland, but Disney World had only ever closed for a total I believe of seven days most of those being related to hurricanes sometimes a couple of days at a time there were two hurricanes that made the park close a couple of days at a time including the most recent one and 9-11 yes so those were but these are a couple of days now we're talking about who knows we're talking about we don't even know so if if you haven't been following in the news because you're not Disney park goers and uh, you're mostly interested in the movies movies aspect of the company uh, all Disney parks across the world right now uh, be it in Shanghai, Hong Kong Tokyo, Paris Orlando and Anaheim they are all closed until further notice like right now they are they have initially announced until the end of the month but it's not it's not gonna happen here's what we here's what we know we know that 
they had to give a date so that stock prices did not just drop off the face of the earth. But we also know they sent home Disney College program students. And Disney College program students um, make up about 15 to 20% of the workforce. And they did not say, okay, you're off the schedule. They sent them home. So that's a lot of people to send home. And that says something about result from search. Google, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> um, there, that's talking about a closure that's unprecedented for this company, for for everyone. Nobody, in fact, we had a trip planned. Yes, we've talked about it. We were supposed to go at the end of the month. We were set to leave on the 27th of March. And obviously, you know, what a first world problem. But want it or not, it's something that hits hard, even if it's not comparable to some of the hardships a lot of people are going through right now. We all know how much when you're planning a trip, especially when you're planning a vacation for years, which was the case with this one, it was going to be the very first time my parents were going to go to Disney World and we spent countless hours perfecting it. So it was hard to let go, and we did actually come to the decision of canceling it before the... They announced the closure. Yeah, it was the the same day, actually, but they announced it in the evening, and in the daytime, we made the decision that, uh, primarily for my parents at that point, because it still hadn't quite blown up as much as it has now, but um, yeah, we had made the decision to cancel the trip, and then pretty much everything just blew up after that right and keeps increasing at this rate so i I do not believe that the disney parks will reopen on the first of april um hopefully they will reopen sooner than later if people take this situation as serious as it is right which is not the case everywhere right now in the u.s and everywhere in canada as well i mean yeah anywhere where there's not a forced lockdown yeah there are people who are not listening well in places where there are forced lockdowns a lot of a lot of it is because people didn't listen and that's why they got to the case there right right now um yeah so this is and not like not even just the Disney parks. Disney Cruise Line has canceled its itineraries for adventures by disney is canceled everything through april 30th um yeah, and then uh, Hilton Head, which is located in South, South Carolina, Carolina. Uh, which is a DVC property. It's owned by Disney. It's based, It's a beach resort. It's not a park, but right. uh, it's owned by Disney. Is also closed down. I don't know about Alani. I did the... just get an email. I didn't look at it yet. Um, for people who don't know, I am a travel agent, which means coronavirus has uh taken over my life but i did get an email about uh rules about cancellations to alani so i didn't look and see if they are closing it as of now they're remaining open okay um with a health and safety protocol in place however that was also how it was Initially right. for Disney World and Disneyland. Right. They we didn't... saw them yeah. starting to implement more um, hand-washing stations and all these other things to try and really yeah. 
But, you know, I guess Alani is a hotel, so it's right. not, um, it's not quite the same situation. Hotels haven't started closing down yet. Right. So, but anyway, so yeah, it's, uh, and not even just that, they have postponed the release of Mulan, which that is a financial-based decision. That's a financial That's not based decision. on yes. safety measures necessarily. Although now most movie theaters, at least in Canada, are closed. Um, but yeah, it's a financial decision because obviously you don't want a movie, a big movie that you're putting out there to come out and it would basically flop at the box office just because people aren't going out. So. Right. Uh, yeah, so that was, uh, I guess, an aside because it is relevant to this especially because it talks about the history of Disney and for sure if they were to remake this series in 10 20 years this would feature this would be featured this would be a good segment of an episode yes uh but it you know it's not it's unprecedented it's not the first time the company has seen some hardships that's for sure uh i mean just look at the opening day for Disneyland Right, and they get into this. One of the things, um, we talked about that this was a very emotional episode. One of the things that made it so emotional, when they get, as I said, we get through to Walt's death, is that they have interviews with people like Marty Scalar, who unfortunately is no longer with us, but he knew Walt and he worked with Walt. And seeing this older man still all these years later get so choked up talking about the loss of Walt and what it meant and how he felt really just like I'm tearing up right now thinking about it because you can tell his employees loved him not all of them we know there's the strike we've talked about the strike and we know that not everyone had Good, but it's the same with any boss that you're going to have. That if some people are going to love them, and in certain companies, you start to feel like a family and losing a member of your family, especially somebody that you look up to, especially somebody well, because in that who kind is of such a leader. Setting, it, yeah, he's kind of like the head of the family. He's kind of the... He's a parent. Yes. So, so. it's very hard. Um... But they do talk about it. They do talk about where Walt went wrong, but also where he succeeded and how he made Disneyland better. And it's a really great, even as somebody like us who hasn't been to Disneyland, I enjoyed that episode. I Oh, definitely. And like, you also have to consider that this was a... Uh pioneer in the field of theme parks in America because these weren't like at at the time that Disneyland opened there were fairs that either were primarily focused on attractions for children or that were just not really reputable places right. for people to go. Kind of boardwalky attractions existed already and yeah, you know. But you didn't have something like an amusement park as we think of today. Right. He is the one that brought forth this first idea and um 
a lot of the technologies that that's one of the things that's fascinating about this episode is a lot of the technologies that they used to create the rides and how most of the people that worked on the park they were not trained specifically for this right. field because this was in the years where what you knew how to do mattered more than what you were trained in at school. Yeah, like your education didn't matter as much as your knowledge and your abilities to learn, make something and to learn a trade that, you know, like someone who had studied or worked on cars who was brought forth to create Utopia. And, right. Yeah, so. And he worked on designing cars, not even making them, but like the physical appearance of them and now he's designing and making little drivable cars it's insane Walt basically said you're gonna do it and they they did figured it. it out they learned trigonometry in order to make things happen and that's and that that's, that's just... the introduction this is where you start to see this is how imagineering starts and it's incredible and it's just you dive in and you watch it and you are just taken through it all and it feels like it goes by. There's never a dull moment. This is a history lesson, essentially. And it's fascinating. Yeah, just also like things like uh, how they brought forth to do um, It's a Small World. Right. You know, and it was such a wall thing there too because the woman who was in charge of the designs for the dolls, he asked him, he asked her to do it. And she asked, well, what's, what's my budget? You know, what, how much money do I have for each doll? And this, and, and he said, no, you don't understand. Design these and we'll figure the rest, you know? And that was just so Walt. That was Walt. He did not care about money. Yeah. And that is something that, right now is solely being missed from the parks even under Iger a little bit but it's going to be even more so now so honestly it was a much different time the thing we do have to remember though is Walt did not care about money and oftentimes he found himself in debt and his, yeah because he his always wife fueled... said by the time he died if he had lived longer, they would have been in debt again because he believed so full-heartedly in doing things to the best of his ability that it was, I'll put my own money into it. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, if I believe in this, then there's no reason I should be touching the company's money. I'm going to put my own money in it. Right. Right. Well, yeah, that was, was that was Walt for you, and really he was remarkable, such a fascinating character. It is, it's the Imagineering story, but so much of it, you'll see at the beginning, is all Walt. Well, yeah, because there's no, there's no Disney, there's no Imagineering, there's none of it without Walt. So you can't, you know, it was all started by a mouse, but it was all started by a man who created a mouse. Right. It, Right. The thing, um, we actually watched this episode and a couple of others 
in French as well. Um, and I only mentioned this because I thought it was really interesting that they dub people who are alive now and they dub the narration. They do not dub any archive footage. So no matter what language people are listening to this in, they are hearing Walt speak and their subtitles. They'll also hear other people in archive interviews, including people who are still alive, but if it's an archive interview, like Michael Eisner from the 80s, they're hearing him speak in the past. They didn't dub over any footage that they used. They only dubbed the new interviews. Yeah. And I thought it was really cool that even my in-laws, even Mama, who is not strong in English, was able to watch everything in French, but hear Walt say, you know, give the opening address to Disneyland because that's such a special... It's a historical moment. It is. It truly is. Yes, so fast, amazing episode to start it off. And then, of course, very rough ending. But then you move on and you go on to episode two, which is What Would Walt Do? And that does cover the opening of Walt Disney World, which yep. was Walt's special project that he never saw to completion, that, you know, Roy Disney... This also made me cry. Yes, oh, definitely. Roy's Oh my gosh, Roy... Is, because this is a man who gave so much of his life to his belief in his brother. Right. You know, he was, he was a very different kind of person, and it... it took that you you needed that you had the creative aspect in Walt who was a dreamer who just thought of what he wanted to do and just wanted to figure out how to do it he didn't care what it took to do it or to make it happen he just knew that it was possible and that by whatever means possible he would make it happen so you do need that other side of the metal that's going to be more okay, well, we need to figure out how we're going to make it happen and we need to make sure we're not going to go under doing it. And Roy had retired. Yes. When Walt passed away, but he came out of retirement to supervise the construction and opening of Walt Disney World. Uh, well, specifically the Magic Kingdom. Right. Because, again, he he believed so hard, wholeheartedly in the dreams that his brother put out there into the world that he knew he needed to finish what he had started. Um, one, one fact that I do love about Roy that, um, you know, kind of speaks to the kind of man that he was, in a sense, also, um, is from when we were on a backstage tour in the Magic Kingdom yeah. that you can get tickets to pretty easily. It's called uh, Keys to the Kingdom. Yes. And they talked to us about the the construction of Walt Disney World and Roy overseeing it. And Roy was noticing that construction workers were, you know, they were working until 5. But, you know, it would get to 4.30, 4.40, and oh, they would start packing up and stop working and just kind of chill until it was 5 o'clock to head home. 
uh, because one of the first things they had installed was the theater that's in the the town square theater the town square theater in the entrance of the magic kingdom with a clock and roy had that clock covered by a sign that said remember we open october 1st 1971 and he was like we will tell you when it's five o'clock <laughs> i i honestly roy is such a an inspiring like the as you spoke to the belief the full belief you know you want someone to believe in you as much as Roy Disney believed in his brother Walt yeah he he risked everything for his brother when the company started because Walt didn't really have any money but Roy did Roy was a banker and he was responsible he was a responsible man he had money in the bank he you know he And when Walt moved to Los Angeles, to Burbank, and wanted to create this company, Roy followed and emptied his savings to help his brother start this company. And if you look online, um, if you search for... I'm I'm not really sure what exactly you would search for, maybe... Walt and Roy Disney, opening of Disney uh, company, but there is a picture that shows Walt and Lillian, his wife, um, their sister Ruth, or was Ruth Roy's wife? I can't, I can't, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. I remember there was a lady called Ruth, uh, and Roy was in the picture, and there was another lady, and one of the ladies is Roy's wife, and the other lady is Walt and Roy's sister. And or is it just the four of them actually? You know what? Just get to the anyway. Point. <laughs> point is, um, Roy's wife does not look particularly excited by this venture, <laughs> and it's understandable because she had a nice life where everything was stable, and now it's you know, it's a mystery what's gonna happen. And that picture is down in the Attilators. It is in the, in the Magic doors. Kingdom. Yes. So. So it's a great, it's a great episode. Um, it starts with Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, continues to Epcot. Yes. Which so was the, the one of the difference with this one is you know the first episode concludes on Walt's death. This one you do touch on Roy's death earlier on in the episode because he did not live much longer past right the opening. He of the opened Magic the Magic Kingdom and. Not long after he passed away. He did what he set out to do. Yeah. Which, that gives me goosebumps. Uh, Yeah, so then it moves on on to the conception of Epcot Center, which was very different from the vision Walt had for it, but... Epcot Center was what got Walt interested in doing Florida at all. Yeah, it he was wanted a his, community. The Florida project and the at the heart of it all, in Walt's words himself, is Epcot. And you know, Epcot is my favorite park. It is not what Walt envisioned it to be, and it's it changing. It could not have been. Right. Um because he didn't he wasn't envisioning a theme park for right. Epcot. He wanted it to be, it w- it is a prototype community of tomorrow. 
Right. You know, he he wanted it to be something, a place where people actually lived and work, and only for a little bit of time, though. You know, like there would be a rotation. Right. So it was it was obviously a very imaginative and an innovative project, but ultimately they had to kind of put that aside and yes, they they went in a different direction and that direction is again taking a different turn. We'll see where it takes us. Some parts yes. of it do seem very interesting, some parts of it maybe a little less so. Um but ultimately the conception of Epcot had to be this this was a very imagineer heavy project because you didn't have Walt anymore. You didn't have Roy anymore. Right. You had to build this park and you couldn't really go off of what Walt had planned. Right. So they had to make a lot of their own decisions with that. And they did. And it was a success. And then we close off the episode talking about Tokyo Disneyland, the first foreign park. Yeah, which the funniest thing about Tokyo is they did not want to do a park outside of the US. They were not interested. And they the offer that they ended up making because the Japanese just kept calling and calling. They wanted to do this. And they were like, you know what, we're gonna tell them something that's gonna be so not necessarily outrageous, but so out there still that they're they're not gonna want to do it. And then they were like, Yes, yes, that's perfect. That's okay, we'll do that. And, I mean, Tokyo is an amazing park. You say. Well, we've never been. We haven't been, but it is consistently Tokyo Disney Sea, um, which is not the park that was opened then. It was opened later. Um, Tokyo Disneyland and then Tokyo Disney Sea is separate from Tokyo Disneyland. Is consistently rated to be one of the best Disney theme parks in the world. So I have high hopes when we eventually go to Tokyo. Um, but Tokyo Disneyland was a success. The first park outside of the U.S. and it was a big yeah. success. Which opened the door to the ones that ended up following. Yeah, so then we move on episode three. The Midas Touch. The Midas Touch about... The rise of Bob Iger. Nope. Nope. The, uh, the Michael the Eisner. Of Michael Eisner. And Frank Wells. And Frank Wells, who, as the episode title suggests, could not go wrong. This touches on Disney MGM Studios. Um, it also talks about Euro Disneyland, which was, yes, like... It was... There was problems with Euro Disneyland. Yeah, it was now in- initially now Disneyland Paris. Yes, it it did improve greatly, um, but it lost money for a long time. Yes, but however, that was one of the few things in the beginning that Michael and Frank really failed at, and that's a big part of me believes that that's because Michael and Frank were such, and they touch on that on the episode, were such a Walt and Roy duo. Where you had Michael, who was a dreamer, who was the creative side, who just was so amazed by everything around him. He was like a kid in a playground. And he just wanted to see and do it all. And then you had Frank, who was there to pull him back on... Yeah, reining him, pull him back on earth a little bit. To be like, okay, let's let's talk about this in a more rational manner. Um, Because otherwise, Michael would probably have okayed 
every single project that Imagineers were coming to him with. Here's the thing. I did not know how successful Michael Eisner was as mm-hmm. a CEO. I did not think of him as a successful Disney CEO. I had kind of a negative connotation for him because I was... Um, he is very... A lot of people think of Michael Eisner and think of the sequel the era. The sequel guy. Yes. But look at this. I wrote down. It's so funny because it starts... He gets in in um, September of 84. He goes on to 2005. That's his reign as CEO. So about 20 years. Um, 21 years, actually. The first movie released... Under his tenure, Black Cauldron. Failure. The last movie released under his tenure, Chicken Little. (laughs) Failure. So I think this is how I kind of thought of him. But what we don't think about... Everything in between. The movies of our childhood. The whole Disney renaissance. Yeah, and you obviously he's not the one that came up with the movies, but he okayed them because he, he listened to his team and he got as excited as they were about these amazing projects that kept being brought forth. And honestly, my hot take on Michael Eisner is he does not get half the praise he deserves for what he did for this company. And honestly most of the things that went wrong under him were not even entirely under him because one of the things that I did not know which is brought forth at the end of the episode and I cried at this one I believe as much as I did I also cried because I knew, obviously, we know Walt passed away, and we know Roy passed away. I did not know Frank Wells. I didn't know Frank Wells before this episode, and yet, everything I heard about him, it made, when we find out about his sudden, unexpected death... It was devastating. It was just horrible, because also they include a clip of Michael Eisner at the remembrance ceremony that they're having for him, talking about him. And you can hear how choked up he's getting because this is somebody, they had that partnership. They really were partners and they really did trust and work together and they made a good team. And this is somebody who we talked earlier about a work family Clearly, this was his family, his work family, yeah. and it was so heart wrenching to hear. Yeah, and then this goes on. So you have Michael Eisner, who suddenly loses his work partner, who was his perfect balance right. to run this kind of company, and then on top of it, he himself comes across some health issues that force him to really step back from the company and appoint someone else to really kind of take the reins. And unfortunately, that's the decision that ends up 
hurting him as the way a lot of people view him as a CEO of the Disney right. company. He is not the one that okayed all these projects that were... And I, I want to be clear. We're not in any way insinuating that Michael Eisner did not make missteps of oh, his no, own. Oh, no, he surely did, but... Paris being a glaring example of... It was just not well-received by the public at all. Where the Japanese were begging, please, please bring us apart. Yeah, the Paris, French did not want French Disney were, to be coming. get out, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, they were, like, throwing things at him when they, he did a press release. And so that was a bit of a a misstep in the sense that they were not doing it as the French public would have wanted it to be done even if they had wanted the park there. Um, but they set out to create the most beautiful park and right. they succeeded at that. But that did incur a lot of cost and that because of the fact that the park was not well received, there were not enough visits to make up for that right. cost. And they made a lot of hotels with the idea that there were going to be tons of visitors and there were not. So, the thing is, we haven't been to all the Disney parks, but Disneyland Paris, not Walt Disney Studios Park, which is regarded as one of the worst parks that Disney has done. Disneyland Paris is stunningly gorgeous. Everything about that park is just beautiful. Main Street is so detailed. It's so pristine. It's got they all these... They have a store in which you have It's pictures. Lillian's Boutique. Yes, and they have pictures of Walt and Lillian, and you don't even have that in Disney World, really. Right, and then you have Walt's Restaurant, which again features pictures of Walt and Lillian, and everything about this park is made just perfectly, and you can see where all this money went. You, It's not that you look at it and go, they spent all this money on this. You look at it and go, wow. I see why this ran over a lot, like the mosaics and just the gold trimmings and... It's, right. And you know, they, it's lavish. Yes, but. and they took new ideas. They don't have a Tomorrowland. They have a Discoveryland, which is steampunk-inspired and is gorgeous. But again, it's going to incur cost. They have a pirate ship cave with this huge skull rock and a boat. And it's just... Look at... They have honestly, a dragon in the castle. Honestly, if you have not ever been to Disneyland Paris, look up pictures, do a Google Street View of it, walk around this park, and know that everything you're seeing is more beautiful in person. It is... He succeeded there. He wanted his legacy to make the most beautiful Disney park. And he succeeded. Yes. But there was a cost. There was a cost, and it came also at a time, um, not well, not necessarily those years, but the fact that it cost so much money, and then they went on to spend more money um, with Disney's Animal Kingdom. This is, well, now we're on to episode four, Hit or Miss, which, again, Michael Eisner is still CEO of the company, but he's not really holding the full reins, and... 
Um, and I don't think he was necessarily CEO for the entire time of those years. Yes, he was. He was? Okay. Um, so we've got the successes here. There's, it's clearly divided. We've got Disney Cruise Line, success. Animal Kingdom, success. Tokyo Disney Sea, which you've already talked about, success. Yes, but then we have to figure out some Animal Kingdom. I, I don't know what year. 98. No, I'm talking about, yes, and I know Animal Kingdom opened on her Earth Day in 1998. Uh, I don't know when Disney Cruise Line premiered. I don't know when Tokyo Disney Sea premiered. But if you just look at Disney's Animal Kingdom, 1998, this is three years before 9-11. And these are all projects that, although popular, cost a lot of money, and you still have the financial failures of Disneyland Paris. And then you fall into a recession. And they try to catch up, but they just can't because they're trying to, they are trying to cut corners. They are trying to make parks that are half-day experiences, but this is not what people want, especially because you're trying to charge pretty much the same amount to visit those parks as you would, or not, well. Right, so this is where we've got... You have Disney's California Adventure, which now is a successful park. Yes, when it opened, redone it. and we'll get to the redone in a, another episode, but when it opens, it is a failure. It is. There's not enough in it. Awful. And the theming is, you it's know, why, California. Why, put, why put a California theme park in California? Like, it's... it's it doesn't go well. And to top it all off, that opens... In 2001. Yeah. You have Walt Disney Park. Walt Disney Studios Park. Walt Disney Studios Park in in Paris. Paris. Again. Still today regarded as... I mean, they have some good areas there now. Yes. So we, when we went into it, we spent a half day there. We did. It is a half day. Well, to be fair, there is an entire section of the park we did not touch because there were things that we had done before. Rock and Roll Coaster... Tower of Terror. These are in Hollywood Studios in Florida. So we didn't feel the need to go over there because we're like, let's experience things we haven't experienced. And then also Hong Kong Disneyland at the tail end of this, opening in 2005. Also, Hong Kong. Yeah. Because Hong Kong was regarded as a half-day park itself. It's one park. It does have one of the best rides anywhere. People agree. Mystic Manor, which is there, not on a mansion, because it's not, but it is a trackless ride system that is very innovative, and people really talk it up. But otherwise, Hong Kong Disneyland really fell flat. And then there were two other things that just never got off the drawing room table they couldn't make it happen there was disney's america which was supposed to be a kind of colonial experience in west virginia and westcott which was originally supposed to be what they were going to do before dca disney's california adventure they were going to make well let's be clear disney's america did not happen because the people of west virginia did not want it because it was regarded as you know, you can't bring this here. This is a historical place already, and you're trying to put this clown farce in here. And so they did not want it, and it didn't end up taking off. But 
yeah, this is just... And to me, it doesn't necessarily entirely excuse all the sequels, but it makes them more understandable because, again, you're in a recession. You're losing money. You're losing money. You want to keep, you need to keep the, the company afloat. And the best way to do that is to pump out as much content as you can as quickly as possible, which does mean cutting corners, but you don't have the money to finance a right. big studio project as you would have before. So, it, yeah, to this definitely... Michael Eisner, I'm sorry. Mike, we're sorry. Anyway, so... Uh, but this episode does pretty much conclude Michael Eisner's um, role as CEO over the company. Uh, because when you move into episode 5, A Carousel of Progress, this is where Bob Iger steps in. Bob Iger steps in. Then we get everything starts rolling. And as we said, once Bob Iger steps in, there's a lot of downplaying on anything that went wrong. So what we start to focus on is the Diddly Sneak California Adventure overhaul. We've got to make this into a successful part. Now, we mentioned kind of sequels and movies and things, but this is not the focus of this. So they're not going to touch on the other things that Bob Iger does, which is he makes acquisitions like Pixar, like Lucasfilms, like Marvel during his tenure. And these are not really brought up at all because they're not really relevant to the story that we're telling, which is the Imagineering story. So what the Imagineers get into are um, Cars Land being added to DCA as part of their overhaul. Um, We've got a revamp of classic attractions going on. We see Haunted Mansion Holiday, which is very popular out in Disneyland, where they for a time overlay The Nightmare Before Christmas onto the Haunted Mansion every season. It's very elaborate. It's done every year. We have a new Pirates of the Caribbean featuring Captain Jack Sparrow from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And they redo It's a Small World, Okay, they don't redo it. They add Disney character throughout the dolls. Yes. Also, we see... I mentioned Mystic Manor. This gets added during the Iger era. And what I meant before was Hong Kong, even still, they're doing a huge revamp. But even still, right now, it is not considered to be a very successful park it's not most people will take a day to go see it and then that's it um they are looking to add things they are looking to make it better and it is being reworked now even more in paris you saw the addition of l'aventure totalement tourie de remy sure the ratatouille ride the ratatouille ride which is coming to epcot which I understand why they're doing, but it's kind of a bummer. Um, Well, they didn't really get rid of anything to add it in. I understand that. However, at the same time, I think I like the idea that there are these unique attractions that you can't experience anywhere at any other parks. I like that Mystic Manor is a mystery to me because I haven't been over to Hong Kong. And if I want to ride it, I have to go to Hong Kong. Yeah, which is like one of the things why I wish... They had left 
soaring over California in one park. California. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, not only because of the fact that I hate soaring around the world, but the the idea that obviously there are going to be some rides that you have that you find everywhere because they're classics you know like it's a small world and even then you don't find them any, everywhere but Disneyland and Walt Disney World do share a fair amount of similarities in those um, classic, classic attractions. attractions because of the fact that it's two parks in the same country and it was a comparable experience so people were mad when some of the attractions they knew to be in Disneyland were not created for Walt Disney World. Right. Um, so this is a big reason why these two have the most rides in common out of any parks, I believe, in the world. Um, Disney parks in the world, of course. But, yeah, no, it's... In a sense, it's... Um, it speaks to some of Iger's success, which is, um, you know, it's kind of, they're profitable ideas. Right. That don't require necessarily a lot of input. It's not easy money in the sense that it still requires a lot of work and they're still putting a lot of attention in building these rides to make sure that it's going to be working as perfectly in right Disney but instead World of as... having to come up with two separate ideas yes they just kind of recycle it which is <laughs> something we see on the movie side of things under Iger which is recycling and I'm not I'm not complaining about live action a lot of people are giving more and more criticism about live action remakes I understand where it's coming from, you know, why not give us new creative content, and to a point, um, I agree because my favorite live action movies are the ones where there's a new way to retell the story, right? which is like... We're, we're going to talk to it about it more when we get to actually review that movie, but the live-action remake of Beauty and the Beast, I abhor. The live-action remake of The Lion King, yeah. I mean, there's some good parts to it, but you just, it, it's the same, it's basically the same script. You right. Know, I, this is why I love Cinderella, because it's a story that's already been retold so many times that they didn't have a choice but to give it a unique spin and I like Aladdin because you know the story is essentially staying the same but they gave it new touches and they made it different those are the movies that I find the remakes to be the best for uh, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited about the remake for Mulan but this kind of goes along with the idea that instead of creating and not necessarily about everything because obviously some of these rides that he's brought forth or that have been brought forth under his reign are new and innovative and amazing you have you know in pandora and well we're going to talk about that in episode six well you know what it's all Iger. okay let's let's then go so episode six talks 
to infinity and beyond talks about shanghai disneyland it talks about pandora it talks about mission breakout the retheming of tower of terror out in california and it also talks about galaxy's edge which galaxy's edge is one of those things we're talking about where it is identical in both parks in florida and in california it is in different parks galaxy's edge is in disneyland park proper where out in florida it is in hollywood hollywood studios so but the rides themselves are mirrors of each other yes and it's not even just that so they are um there are great rides in that you know flight of passage is amazing being on that ride for the first time i was blown away and rise of the resistance when it works is also a completely new concept for a ride in a theme park and it's not to say that he is not capable of bringing forth things that are innovative and great because again everybody has done good for the company everybody has done things that are maybe a little less good for the company um but it seems there's the creative content the creation of content under Iger relies a lot on things that are already put in place a lot of ip yes uh which ip if you're not aware is intellectual property uh which is one of the things that's happening a lot in epcot especially right now because epcot has always been one of these parks that's so unique to disney in the sense that it's disney because you say it's disney right you know you don't see a lot they have disney characters meeting in the parks but when you're walking around it's not you're not walking through a disney movie you know there's really very few things that are representative of the movie aspect of the disney company and that is becoming less and less so because under Iger and now especially under Chapek, they don't believe that people will be drawn to these parks if there's not intellectual property thrown in there. And that is so short-sighted. Here's the thing. The thing is, a lot of the most classic attractions were not... You've got Big Thunder Mountain... That does not have any tie into any movies. You have Haunted Mansion who had a movie based on it. Pirates of the Caribbean that had a movie based on the attraction. Jungle Cruise has a movie based that's coming out based on the attraction, not the other way around. So what we found is that great attractions, really phenomenal attractions, don't have to be based in IP. And in fact, IP can spring up around the attraction itself. Pirates of the Caribbean did five movies going on six now uh, that they're talking about based on the ride, not the other way around. So, and Tower of Terror was themed on the Twilight Zone, sort of. Um, but it's it's not But even now really- we've, we've got Mission Breakout, which is Guardians of the Galaxy, um, and is now fully, you know, you recognize the characters. It's a different experience. 
Which is not a bad thing in the sense that, like you're saying, it's good to have more unique attractions for each park. Right. So I do like, and especially because, you know, there was a lot of, of revolt, if you'd like, about uh, when they brought forth the idea of replacing Tower of Terror proper in out in Disneyland with Mission Breakout. But the truth of the matter was that the Disneyland version was nowhere near as good as the Disney World version. And that happens in, like, throughout the world. It's not like this Pirates of the Caribbean, everybody says, is so much better in Disneyland than it is in Disney World. So it's not to say that everything is better in Disney World, but specifically Tower of Terror. Right. Is considered, was considered to be better in... Disney World. So the fact that they revamped it, a lot of people actually do like it better now. Could they have done it in a way that didn't involve IP? Maybe, maybe not. I I don't not, think IP needs to stay out of everything. Right. That's what I was just going to say. I'm like, not against Obviously, Galaxy's Edge is amazing and Pandora is amazing, although again, Avatar is not Disney, but whatever. Um, so you can definitely come up with amazing things out of, you know, intellectual property that already exists, but there is a big reliance on it right now, and we'll see where it brings the parks in the future. Um, I would have been, I would be very curious once we get through Bob Chapek's era to see what the tone of such a documentary would be on it because he is I mean let's let's be clear Bob Chapek for those of you who don't know before he became CEO and he just became CEO it's a 2020 thing he has not been CEO for a year or two years it is very very Iger picked his moment like at the the perfect time um, but before this, he was head of parks yes. and uh, merchandise. So we have seen already some of his decisions in, in the, the parks. parks. Primarily cuts, cutting down on entertainment in a lot of the parks. And this is continuing on under the guise of, you know, coronavirus. Right. But anyway... Um, and it's going to keep happening because it's all about... And at the same time, it's... You know, it's kind of already coming back to bite him because ever since Iger stepped down and Chapik was put in place, he has had to deal with... Not even... I'm not even talking about the current closure. But you have seen a lot of things like happen one after the other and obviously closures are going to happen and malfunctions are going to happen that's normal and so long as it doesn't happen in a way that injures people right because safety is always the number one concern it's going to happen and yes we are more aware of some of them now because of social media and everything coming to our attention much faster than it did before but social media is not an invention of yesterday. So the fact that you have 
cars colliding into each other on the people mover, the jungle crews both taking in water and sinking. You had a fire. Well, that was a little before um, Chapik, but it right. was still while he was head of the parks. Uh, fire in Honda Mansion. Honda Mansion was it Honda Mansion? Yes. Um, but there was also something in um, Storybook Circus, the store oh, yeah. Big Top, uh, and the flood also in that area. <laughs> there, there has been so many things, and there has been talk that he had been cutting down costs by reducing some of the overnight maintenances. Mm-hmm. And if that is accurate information, then... These things are happening for a reason. This is speculation. Yes, I don't have confirmation, but this is word of mouth. It is not admissible in a court of law. Um, (laughs) But I think we are gonna. It'll be an interesting next couple of years, and I wonder what the future of Imagineering holds. I know they're doing great things abroad. I know we're gonna see Arendelle in Paris. We're going to see a new Spider-Man ride in Paris. We're going to see... There's a Zootopia land coming to... Is it Shanghai? Yes. We're going to see Zootopia brought to life. We're right now seeing a delay in uh, an all-new Beauty and the Beast attraction coming to, to Tokyo, which has been delayed because, you know... The closures. The closures. But there's a lot of very interesting things. Very big projects in the works. In the works right now. Epcot among them, the reimagining of Epcot. What's going to happen after that? No idea. Yeah, because all of these projects, well, the reimagining of Epcot is Chapek's project. Yes. Everything else was started under Iger. Right. So is Chapek going to keep the reimagining of Epcot as his big project to be remembered? four and just leave it at that and kind of leaves everything else to the side or is there going to be more creative content coming to the parks are they going to expand are they you know there's so much room still in Florida and it's starting to hurt the parks not being able to hold the capacity of how many people go and back in the early 2000s there were plans starting to come around for the addition of a fifth park and again because of 9-11 and the recession that didn't come to fruition well I think we'll see what happens here depending on I mean I don't want to get political or anything but depending on how long corona goes on there could be very well another recession and that could shake up a lot of what is supposed to be happening. Yeah, that's true. So we've really just got to wait and see. And maybe in another 10, 15 years, they will make more Imagineering episodes. Maybe they are filming some of the things right now and they plan on releasing it later. We don't know. I would like that. I would love to see what's going on now uh, with the benefit of hindsight. Mm. But for now, it leaves off on this note kind of of hope of the future, about what, what else is coming, 
what else we'll see, and that Imagineering, despite the times when it was itself in danger, has continued to pull through and continued to be a very strong, very profitable part of the company. So I am all for more Imagineering content. Definitely. Um, the series overall, these six episodes, I am sure when we talk rewatchability, I'm definitely going to rewatch it again. Oh, it is sure. a lot of content, so you cannot sit down and watch it, you know, like you would a movie. You have to devote your attention to it. Um, not to say you can't not that, it, but I but... mean like a movie you sit down for maximum two and a half, three hours. This you're you're talking, you know, each episode is an hour. Or more. More, I think. More an hour and a half. Well, it says six one-hour episodes, but I do believe it's a little bit longer than an hour in some cases. So, you know, you've got to devote quite a bit of time to it. So, I couldn't watch it even every week. But I think I would watch it. Talking about it and the fact that the last time we watched it was actually before the holidays, I want to watch it again. Right. That's what I was going to say. I think I could watch it a few times a year. Yeah. Definitely. And I'll probably still cry. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. So overall, what would you give the Imagineering story? I give it a ten. I'm, I agree. I agree. Ten out of ten, it is Honestly, if there is incredible. one thing, uh, there was a lot, a lot of people are drawn to Disney Plus for The Mandalorian, and it is a great show. But if you are a Disney fan, if you are a Disney Parks fan, if there is one thing you get Disney Plus for, there is one show you watch on Disney Plus, let it be the Imagineering Story. Because it's it's an amazing series. I agree. So that brings <laughs> us to our viewer's choice for next week. Yes, so we are going to put down the poll t- today um, for, it's going to be the first round of voting, mm-hmm. where again, we're going to put two against each other, and then uh, once that poll finishes... So we'll- it won't be a full week, because we do not have a full week. We should have put this up last week. You are correct. <laughs> but you know what? It's just, we're, we're, we go as we go. Uh, so for a few days, we are going to put the first poll, and then a couple more days, we're going to put the final poll. Uh, so the choices are going to be Christopher Robin, Tomorrowland, Saving Mr. Banks, and Mary Poppin Returns. Uh, we will post it on Facebook, and we will also post it on Twitter. Yes. Uh, so Facebook is Magical Streaming, Twitter is... Stream streaming. the Magic. Stream the Magic? Yes. Okay. Um... And uh, as always, you can reach out to us on those platforms. You can also reach out to us on Instagram, Magical Streaming. You can send us an email, magicalstreaming at yahoo.com. Yeah, let us know which movie you would like us to review next week. And until next time, enjoy your magical streaming. Bye-bye.